0: Well, good morning to each one. Greetings in the precious name of Jesus. It's good to see each one of you here this morning. And I too want to welcome the visitors. We're glad you're here. I invite you to worship the Lord with us this morning. For an introduction to the message, I invite you to First Corinthians eleven. First Corinthians eleven, verse eighteen. Today we will consider the last five words of this verse. First Corinthians eleven eighteen. For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. The title for my message today is The Value of Partly. Believing. Now the book of 1 Corinthians is a returned letter from the Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth. If you're familiar with the book of 1 Corinthians chapter, chapter 7 verse 1 begins with the words, Now concerning the things whereof ye wrote unto me, And so it would appear that this letter to the Corinthians was written by Paul in answer to one, or maybe more than one, that he had received from them. The issue that Paul is addressing in chapter 11, verse 18, is the division that was among them and how they were remembering the Lord's Supper. They were divided. The rich people were eating together and excluding the poor. And it also appears that the Lord's Supper was turning into more of a social than a remembrance. And so Paul launches into this difficult issue with the words, for first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. Is everything that we hear true. Is everything that we hear 100% accurate? The answer, of course, is no. Not everything that we hear is true. Not everything we hear is 100% accurate. You probably have heard the expression hook, line, and sinker. Someone took a story hook, line, and sinker. And so to illustrate that, I brought a hook, a line, and a sinker. Okay, so as you know, when you're out fishing, you present the bait to the fish, right? And so a fish comes along, and he takes the bait with his mouth, and you set the hook, and you have the fish. But the expression hook, line, and sinker, has to do with someone that's extremely gullible. Not only do they take the hook, they also take the line and the sinker. Okay? Now, years ago, I heard someone telling a story about an individual that was extremely gullible, and he said it like this. He took it hook, line, sinker, Rod, reel, and hand. (laughs) Now that is gullible, isn't it? But have you ever totally believed something and later realized that it would have been wise to partly believe? I believe we've all been there. We took something that we heard, hook, line, and sinker, and later we realized the value of partly believing. We don't know exactly how Paul got his information about the situation at Corinth. More than likely, it came directly from the folks at Corinth through handwritten letters. But it also could have came through other people, from other places. You know, they filled Paul in on what was happening over at Corinth. Paul, did you hear about what's happening at Corinth? I'm sure you're familiar with the word drama. Recently, our family enjoyed the outdoor show, Pathway to Freedom, down in Snow Camp, North Carolina. The show, Pathway to Freedom, is drama. It's acted out. For two hours, there is incident, scene, spectacle, crisis, excitement, thrill, sensation, disturbance, commotion, and turmoil. You kind of want to go, don't you? But you know, I'm sorry. However, the slaves in the play are not real slaves. The slave masters who beat the slaves are not real ma- real slave masters actually beating slaves. The people that are killed are not dead. The people that are crying are not really sad. You see, it's an act. It's drama. But you know, it's the drama and the acting that makes Pathway to Freedom interesting. The drama and the acting is what makes people keep coming back to Snow Camp, North Carolina. No one would ever drive two hours to Snow Camp to just listen to someone stand and read the Pathway to Freedom script. They may do it one time, but they wouldn't do it the second time. And so I wonder if Paul was hearing drama in the letters coming from Corinth. Yes, it was true. There was a problem at the church at Corinth. They were divided in remembering the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper problem at Corinth needed to be addressed. But before Paul addressed the issue, he made it clear that he himself had not swallowed everything he's heard, hook, line, and sinker. Paul said, I partly believe it. Why is it valuable to partly believe? Why is it valuable to not swallow everything we hear as gospel truth? Over and over, the Bible admonishes us to be wise and also to beware of rumors and those who engage in gossip. Let's look at some of those verses. You can turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, I will read 15 through 17. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Verse 15 uses the word circumspectly. Now, that's not a word that we normally use. But the word circumspectly has the thought of diligent, careful wary. And it also has a little bit of the thought of, circumspectly, if the path is not safe, you move over. You make a slight change. This past Monday morning, as you know, we were getting a shower of rain. And uh, about 8 o'clock, a gentleman stopped by my shop and, to look at some bulldozing work that I wanted done. And so Willie and I, we, we head back to where I'm going to, where I wanted this work done. And we're walking on a path, a dirt path, that is sloped down and also sloped slightly to the side. And that rain on that dusty path, it was really treacherous. We were walking circumspectly. In fact, Willie says, hey, we're going to get in trouble if we walk on this path. I'm moving over here and getting on some leaves. And see, that, that's kind of the thought of circumspectly. If the path isn't safe, you make an adjustment. You get on a safe, safe, some safe footing. lost my thought here. Where was I? Walking circumspectly, diligently, carefully. Verse 16, making good use of time. 17, not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. I would say that such a person as this would be careful and wise with what he hears and with what he believes. You can turn to Proverbs 20, verse 19, if you would like. Proverbs 20 verse 19 it says he who goes about as a tell reveals secrets therefore do not associate with one who flatters with his lips do not associate beware be careful and i looked i looked up that word flatters i looked at the word that it was translated from and the word that is translated has the thought of open and roomy. I thought that was kind of interesting. We talk about an individual. Now we would say someone has a big mouth. Well, flatters is in that same expression. Going on to Romans 16, 17, 18, and 19, you can turn there. Value of partly believing. Notice what these verses say. Romans 16, 17. Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses, contrary to the doctrine which you learned, and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by smooth words and flattering speech, deceive the hearts of the simple for your obedience has become known to all therefore I am glad on your behalf but I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. Are these verses telling us to be wise with what we hear and wise with what we believe? I think so. I think so. Verse 17 says note those Watch those who cause division and strife, contrary to the doctrine which you learn, and avoid them. How do they cause division and strife? Verse 18, by smooth words and flattering speech. Deceive the hearts of the simple. Take note of such people. Verse 19, for your wisdom has become known to all. Therefore, I'm glad on your behalf, but I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. I had to think of the children's song, Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. You know, that's good advice for little ears, and it's good advice for big ears as well. Be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. Why? Because not everything that we hear is true. Not everything that we hear is noble. Not everything that we hear is just. Not everything that we hear is pure. Not everything that we hear is lovely. Not all reports are good reports. Many lack virtue and few are praiseworthy. Don't waste your time meditating on such things. Why else may it be valuable to partly believe? I believe God is honored when we are wise with what we hear and wise in what we do with the information that comes our way. Let's look at several several references that show us what God thinks about false information. You can turn to Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6, 16 through 19. Proverbs six sixteen, These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lion tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among brethren. Do you see why it's valuable to partly believe? It says that God hates a lying tongue. God hates a false witness who speaks lies. When you hear the latest juicy story, and you take that story hook, line, and sinker, and you run with it and begin to pass the story on, you better hope that your juicy information is correct. Why? Because God hates a lying tongue and a false witness who speaks lies. Let's look at the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter twelve. Matthew twelve thirty-four through thirty-seven. Matthew twelve thirty-four. Brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bring forth good things and an evil man out of the treasure out of the evil treasure bring forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. for by your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned. Again we see the value we see why it's valuable, to partly believe. Not everything that is coming out of the treasure of people's hearts is good. And because of that fact, we must be careful with what we believe and the information we pass on, because as we just read, we will someday give account for the things we say. And so let's not be guilty of passing on evil information that came from the treasure of of someone's evil heart. God is honored when we are wise with the things we hear and with the things we believe. Why else may it be valuable to partly believe? I'm sure we know that acting on or passing on false information can be very hurtful to others as well as to ourselves. How many of you are familiar with the Tulsa race riot of 1921? The Tulsa, Tulsa, Oklahoma race as in white versus black? I would just be interested to know how many are familiar with that account? I mean, it happened less than 100 years ago. But it doesn't really surprise me that you don't know about that part of American history because I really didn't know anything about it too recently. The Tulsa race riot of 1921 is rarely mentioned in history books, classrooms, or even talked about. It's a part of America history that our government would rather we would just forget about and not pass on the history of it. But to this day, the details of what started the riot are debated, and I will read a condensed account of the Tulsa Race Riot of 1921, and if you want more information, you can research it. It's very interesting. But just a little bit of background. As you know, the the Civil War was well documented. However, we don't read much in our history books about the years following the Civil War, the Reconstruction years. The Reconstruction years in the South, that was an extremely hard times for both the white and the black folks. There was a lot of bitterness. There was a lot of anger after the war. Uh, The white folks had lost property, um, lost a lot of loved ones, sons, fathers, grandpas, uncles, cousins in the war. The white people were very, very bitter for many years. They passed that on for several generations. And for the black people, the slaves, the former slaves, it was a hard time for them as well. And all they knew was slavery. And that's all they were familiar with. And now they were free, and but they really didn't know what to do with that freedom. And they were taken advantage of it. Some of them had it worse after the war than what they had it before, but through all that, quite a few black folks started moving west, and they moved to Oklahoma and started black settlements all across the state, and there was a lot of resistance there. The white people didn't necessarily care for that, and so that gives you a little background of of why the black folks are now in Tulsa, Oklahoma. One of the most significant events in Tulsa's history was the race riot that occurred in 1921. Following World War I, Tulsa boasted one of the most affluent African American communities in the country, known as the Greenwood District. This thriving business district and surrounding residential area was referred to as Black Wall Street in June of 1921. A series of events nearly destroyed the entire Greenwood area. On the morning of May 30, 1921, a young black man named Dick Rowland was riding in the elevator in the Drexel building at 3rd and Main with the elevator operator, a young white woman named Sarah Page. One common narrative is that Rowland accidentally tripped against its operator, Causing her to scream. A, bypa- a bystander who heard the scream called the police, and like a game of telephone, the story became more inflammatory with each retelling and spread rapidly. The details of what followed vary from person to person, and accounts of the incident circulated among the city's white community during the day and became more exaggerated with each telling. Tulsa police arrested Rowland the following day and began an investigation. An inflammatory report in the May 31 edition of the Tulsa Tribune spurred a confrontation between black and white armed mobs around the courthouse where the sheriff and his men had barricaded the top floor to protect Rowland. Shots were fired and the outnumbered blacks began retreating to the Greenwood Avenue business district. In the early morning hours of June 1, 1921, black Tulsa was looted and burned by white rioters. Governor Robinson declared martial law, and National Guard troops arrived in Tulsa. Guardsmen, assisted firemen in putting out fires took imprisoned blacks out of the hands of vigilance and imprisoned all black Tulsans not not already interned. Over 6,000 people were held at the convention hall and fairgrounds, some as long as eight days. 24 hours after the violence erupted, it ceased. In the wake of the violence, 35 city blocks laid in charred ruins. 1,256 homes and 191 businesses were destroyed. Over 800 people were treated for injuries. 10,000 black people were left homeless. Contemporary reports of death began at 36, but in 2001, the Tulsa Race Riot Commission released a report indicating that historians now believe close to 300 people died in the riot. To this day, there is much speculation in what exactly happened on the elevator. It's still debated if the bystander actually heard a woman scream or heard what sounded like a woman scream. Although the police likely questioned Sarah Page, no written account of her statement has been found. The authorities conducted a low key investigation rather than launching a manhunt for her alleged assail- salient. Afterwards, Page told the police that she would not press charges. It is generally accepted that the police determined what happened between the two teenagers was something less than an assault. In the days and years that followed, everyone who knew Dick Rowland agreed on one thing, that he would never have been capable of assault. As patrons of the shoeshine shop where Roland worked, many attorneys knew him. Witnesses recounted hearing several attorneys defending him in a personal conversations with one another. One of the men said, Well, I know that boy, and have known him a good while. That's not in him. Do you see the wisdom of partly believing? 300 people dead, and that's still debated to this day. Some think it's more. 800 people injured. 10,000 people homeless, 35 city blocks destroyed. The Tulsa race riot brings out the truth of James chapter 3, 5 and 6. Even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity, and so is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and is set on fire of hell. The value of partly believing. I have just a bit more that I want to read about this account, and then we'll go on. But you know, when we don't Like someone, it's just real easy to believe something bad about them. I mean, I hate to admit that, but it is so true. It's our human nature. When we don't like someone, or we don't like a group of people, or a family in the church, or a church group, I mean, yeah, we just hear a little something about them and we can just run with it. But let me just share a little bit more history here and then we'll go on. But in the years, leading up to the 1921 riot. The white residents of Tulsa were disturbed by the growing black wealth in Greenwood. Greenwood was there in Tulsa, that was the district they were in, and sought to impose official segregation measures. In 1914, the city passed a law that forbade anyone from living on a block where more than three-quarters of the pre-existing residents were of another race. In isolation, Greenwood only thrived more. Its main strip boasted attorney offices, auto shops, cafe, a movie theater, funeral homes, pool halls, beauty saloons, grocery stores, and on and on. The resentment in Tulsa was so intense it was just waiting for a spark to ignite it. And the spark was the incident between Dick Rowland and Sarah Page. The Bible says in First Corinthians 13, verse 5, that love thanketh no evil. Love thanketh no evil. And so let's turn to First Corinthians. I would like to read First Corinthians 13. We call this passage the way of love. This chapter also shows us how we should think. You know, we're talking about the value of partly believing. Well, what should we believe? And so this can give us some direction here. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, <coughs> excuse me, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profiteth me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave rudely, seeks not its own, is not provoked, thanks no evil does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know just as I also am knowing. And now abided faith, hope, Love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Verse 5 does not behave rudely, seeks not its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil. Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Now, what about verse 7? Verse 7 says, bears all things and believes all things. Now, for the last 30 minutes, we have been talking about the value of partly believing. And now we read that love believes all things. What are we going to do with that? And think about it. It was just back in chapter 11, two chapters earlier... That Paul says, I partly believe. And now, two chapters later, he's saying, love believes all things. Is Paul contradicting himself? How do we explain a love that believes all things? You see, a person whose life and conduct is motivated by love is not distrustful, but is hopeful. Looking on the brighter side of things and people, another commentator says when such a person hears the latest juicy gossip he or she will respond with something like oh really I see very interesting well I guess time will tell that is a love that believes all things ready to believe the best of every person and will credit no evil of any but on the most positive evidence, there's a verse in Proverbs 26, verse 20 that, that I find interesting. It says that where no wood is, there the fire goeth out. We all understand that, don't we? You quit putting wood on a fire, what happens? <laughs> it seems every time it burns out. It's, it's that simple. If you quit putting wood in our outdoor stove, it goes out. So, where there is no tailbearer, the strife ceases. I have a story to read and then we'll close. A man spread vicious rumors and harmful gossip about another man. In this small village the judge not only presided over cases where the law was broken, but also over cases involving unethical or improper conduct. So the man who spread the malicious gossip was brought before the judge. The judge stepped from behind the bench and handed the the man a large bag full of chicken feathers. Here's what I want you to do. I want you this very day to place a feather upon the doorstep of each and every home that has heard and listened to your gossip, and upon the doorstep of those who had repeated what you have said. After you have completed this assignment, I want to see you back in my courtroom tomorrow morning. Well, the man quickly quickly began placing the feathers on the doorstep of each home that had earlier heard about the rumor or had helped spread the gossip by repeating it to others. After four hours, the man returned home, having nearly emptied his bag of feathers. That night, there was a terrible storm. The rains fell and the winds blew, but the man slept soundly, happy that his punishment had been concluded. The next day, he entered the courtroom and the judge again stepped out out from behind the bench this time with an empty sack. Now, he said, I want you to go back to each home and collect the feathers. The man said, there is no way I can collect each of the feathers. The wind blew last night, and those feathers are surely scattered all over the countryside. And the judge said, and neither can you withdraw the harm you have done by saying, what you said. Do you know how to make chicken feathers unable to blow in the wind? Make them wet. Wet chicken feathers do not blow easily in the wind. And so, this morning, I would like for you to think of this, of the value of partly believing. I would like for you to think of that as water. And so when a feather of juicy gossip comes floating our way, let's pour the value of partly believing to it and douse it with a bucket of love that thanks no evil. We'll call for a song.